Hello, and welcome to the Catholic Duluth Show. The Catholic Duluth Show is a parish community podcast serving the parishes of Holy Family and St. Lawrence here in Duluth, Minnesota. Uh, my name is Daniel Rhoda. Thank you for joining us today. Uh, with me, I have Father Ryan Moravitz. And, you know, we just hope today that you guys are having a better day than we are. <laughs> <laughs> How are you doing, Father? Well, as I just told you, <laughs> um, so... <laughs> So, folks, we were, we just started. We recorded the first five minutes, and then Dan realized that he hadn't been recording. Yep, I didn't hit the button. <laughs> so I, like in all authenticity, you know, <laughs> responded to his question of how are you. And here's the deal, folks, is I'm grumpy. So I told Dan, I said, I'm grumpy today. I've been crabby the last two days. So, yeah, so I'm still crabby and grumpy. And <laughs> now that we have to do this over, I'm a little more grumpy and crabby, I think. <laughs> no, 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 I really... and. I am. I'm. I. You know. Yesterday morning, I woke up and just did. I felt crabby inside. I felt like a grumpy bear. You know. Um, and that kind of lasted through most of yesterday, and then today too. Like I just I woke up and just was like, Arr. you know. And it's. It, I think part of it is winter blues. Maybe I've got a little bit of a cold. I must not have been sleeping well. I feel like I slept long time, but mm-hmm. must not be good sleep or. Uh, you know, and there's lots going on, stuff like that, but I just that's how I'm feeling. I'm feeling grumpy. Uh, so yeah, that's kind of where I'm at right now, you know. So yeah, well, we all have crabby yeah. days, right? It com- it comes and it goes, you know. It does. There's, you know, um, whether there's kind of spiritual sometimes that kind of like desolation and consolation. I think on just like a physical level, yeah, I feel like that happens to me sometimes. I'm just like, I've, like some days I just feel really good, and I have no no idea why. Yeah. Sometimes I'm like, I feel just terrible, and I have no idea why. Yeah. That's kind of like, so. I'm just, yeah, interiorly, I'm just like, rrr, rrr. But it's all good. You just got to, I think it's important that, you know, you got to just acknowledge it sometimes. That's mm-hmm. how I'm, I'm not scared to, like, I guess say, yeah, like, how are you doing? Well, I'm grumpy. I'm crabby. <laughs> <laughs> Give me some coffee. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's just, that's the reality. Well, and it helps me to not act in the grumpiness, like when I just admit mm. it. Yeah, you know, sometimes like w- we just have to like admit it, and then we can like we don't act on it so much. It's just like that's how I'm feeling. So you just like acknowledge, like. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so there. there. You recording this one? Yep. Okay, that's yeah. good. So we got that on tape. We got that on tape. <laughs> <laughs> well, do you want to open us in a prayer, Father? Absolutely. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, we come before you uh, knowing that you're aware and you know us and you know the things that were within our hearts and our minds. Lord, you know our emotions and our actions. You know um, how our days go. Lord, we thank you for for just being aware of us and for the gift that we have in your awareness and for for sharing in our days. Lord, we know that you journey with us through our ups and downs and are just constantly with us, loving us, never ceasing to love us, even when we cease to love you. And so, Lord, we just pray for your blessing and your anointing upon us um, in our time right now. And, Lord, I just ask that you and your goodness pour forth a, a grace and a blessing upon um, those that are listening, that wherever they're at in the midst of their day, if they're maybe experiencing that, that, that crabbiness that can come particularly this time of year, or if they're feeling overwhelmed or if they're feeling joyful, Lord, and I'm uh, feeling like a, a million bucks. I just ask for your blessing and your graces to be upon each of us. Bless our time and our conversation. We thank you for revealing your truths to us and that, that we can come to search those out. And bless our time of question and answer here 
this week, and uh, may we glorify you in it all, Lord. We pray this through Christ our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you, Father. You're welcome. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, we have a a fun fun, uh, episode kind of planned for today. Uh, You're doing a a question and answer um, period. Um, And... uh, and yeah, I guess we can kind of start off with anything. I don't know. Is there anything going on in the parish that um, we should uh, know about? Really, just week? the usual, you know, stuff we've talked about. You know, it's, it's there's nothing particularly special this week. You know, the Knights of Columbus have a thing after the social on Saturday night. Um, so after masses this coming weekend, um, first weekend in February 2020, uh, we'll be having just some social time, um, particularly at St. Lawrence. Holy Family does it every week. Um, but at St. Lawrence, they're going to be having some social times after both Masses. But Saturday night, the Knights of Columbus have their annual or biannual movie night. And they're going to be showing Unplanned. And so we kind of told yeah. people this weekend, like, okay, Knights are having their movie night. Anybody is welcome to come. There's no charge. Um, they are showing Unplanned, which is a more intense movie, um, really for adults. Um, I know some parents have shown that movie to their children. Um, but if you haven't seen it, you need to probably look into it a little bit before you have your kids watch it, because it's it's I haven't it's it's intense. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, it deals with abortion and the dynamics of abortion, um, in a very real real way. So, so yeah, so that's going on. Um, Who do you got in the, in the Super Bowl? Ooh, I go back and forth. I think I I think I got Kansas City. I think I'm leaning towards them. I think if I was a betting man, I'm putting it on Kansas City. Yeah. And I think I kind of would like to see Kansas City win. I like Andy Reid. Yeah, yeah. I do. I like Andy. I Reed. agree. I like San Francisco too. Like I don't. I just like it's two good teams. Like yeah, it's kind of nice to not kind of be. This is the first time in a while that I'm like, actually, I don't care who wins for like. Cause usually, I want both teams to lose. <laughs> yeah, and this is the first time. Like, I kind of want them both, like, to, win, both to win. Yeah, so no, I don't really that's care. a good way to put it. Because yeah, I don't care, but I'm fine with whoever wins. But some years, yeah, you're like, I'm just not happy about either one of these teams winning, <laughs> yeah. like the Patriots and the Packers or something. Like, you yeah. don't want either one of them to win. Yep. Mm-hmm. You know. <laughs> so, all right. Well, um, this week, yeah, we're doing a question and answer. So, uh, uh, a good, so a good amount of people kind of submitted some some questions uh, and so, some good questions about the faith. Um, some bad questions too, but you know we're not going to talk about those. Well, there's no bad question. There's <laughs> just some questions like we're not going to waste our time on. So. <laughs> um, no. So for those that we don't get to your question, that's not necessarily the case. Yeah. Um, but we had some more like our friends like throw out silly questions. That's yeah. more, probably more yeah. what we're talking about. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, if we don't get to your question, that doesn't mean that it's a bad question. Yeah. We affirm you. <laughs> But um, but yeah, thank you for for submitting some questions. Yeah, um, some really good stuff. Yeah, we kind of got all all across the board, which is good. Um, and yeah, we'll try to get as many as we can, depending on how long Father Ryan talks. <laughs> you never know. And um, uh, yeah, I guess let's just let's just jump into the the first one. So the first one we got is, um, why can't someone receive communion more than once a day? Okay, so good question, and right off the get-go, uh, here's the answer. You can receive communion more than once a day. Okay, so canon, 
So I'm going to go to canon law. So the, the church is a society, and any society has laws. And so we have church laws that govern us throughout the world in terms of what we can and can't do on all sorts of levels. One of those is within the sacraments. So there's a whole section um, within canon law that, that does deal with the office of sanctifying in the church, which is primarily the sacraments. So under the section um, of the Most Holy Eucharist in Canon 917, this is what it says. A person who has received the Most Holy Eucharist may receive it again on the same day only during the celebration of the Eucharist in which the person participates with due regard for the prescription of Canon 921, paragraph 2, okay, which deals with somebody who is dying. So here's a couple of things. You can receive Holy Communion twice in a day as long as it's within Mass. So you shouldn't, like, for instance, if you, if you um, go to Mass that day and then you go to a communion service or something for some reason, like a nursing home or something, you shouldn't receive at the communion service. But if you receive twice in a day, it should be within the Mass. One of the distinctions of that is, like, let's say you go to daily Mass in the morning and then you go to a funeral later in the day. Or you go to a wedding in the afternoon, and that evening you go to the Saturday evening Mass. You can receive communion at both those Masses, okay? Um, and so it should always be in the context of Mass that you receive communion twice, okay? Where you wouldn't have to go to Mass in order to receive it a second time is if you go to, if you go to Mass in the morning, and by the evening you're dying. So that the other prescription is like, but if the person is dying... Um, they can receive it a second time. So 921, paragraph 2, even if they have received communion in the same day, those who are in danger of death are strongly urged to receive again. So for viaticum, we call that viaticum, um, one receiving on uh, just before they die. It's your, it's your final communion. It's bread for the journey. One of the reasons for this, so sometimes people are like, well, why is that? So one of the things back long, long time ago, and maybe even not that long ago, actually, um, people would oftentimes go and just try to hit as many masses as they could. So, for instance, in like St. Peter's Basilica in Rome, one of the things that people maybe would do is they would, they would have, there's always masses going on, especially in the mornings, on all these different altars, and people would literally jump from one to the next, just receiving communion and going up to whatever mass had communion starting to happen. And so they thought that there was like extra grace the more communions they received. So they'd just bounce around receiving communions, which isn't in line with like our understanding of the theology of the daily reception of communion. Um, and so it was to kind of take away from that misunderstanding. So the law changed that, no, you can only receive twice in a day. It has to be within Holy, within holy Mass. So that it's not kind of like just people, there's, sometimes people were trying to get as many you know, hosts as they could in a day. And that's not really how we understand how God works, particularly in the sacrament. And so that, that's why they changed this and made this a law. Um, you really should only receive, you can only receive twice in the day. All right. Well, thanks, Father. That was good. Yeah. And yeah, thanks for that question. That's a good one. Um, so the second one that we have is, um, it's kind of, it's kind of uh, general, but what do we know about angels? Yeah, so this is a great question because today is actually the feast day of the angelic doctor, St. Thomas Aquinas. And so he wrote a lot about angels, just philosophically on many levels, but based on our theology as well. Um, 
I'm going to use the catechism now. I'll use the catechism for a number of these. So let's just talk about... So the catechism does talk about what we know about angels. So we know that angels are are real. We believe in them. You know, in the creed we talk about um, things invisible and visible, right? Visible and invisible. Yeah. And so the angels are one of those things that are invisible, but they're part of God's creation. So 1320, or 328, paragraph 328 in the catechism says, the existence of the spiritual, non-corporal beings that sacred scripture usually calls as angels is a truth of faith. The witness of scripture is as clear as the unanimity of tradition. St. Augustine says, and this is 329, angel is the name of their office, not of their nature. If you seek the name of their nature, it is spirit. So angel, they're a spiritual being that we call angels. If you seek the name of their office, it is angel from what they are, spirit. From what they do, angel. With their whole beings, the angels are servants and messengers of God because they always behold the face of the my Father who is in heaven, they are the mighty ones who do his word, hearkening to the voice of his word. Okay? Um, and that's Matthew 18.10. That's Jesus quoting, and then Psalm 103. It goes on to talk about various things. You know, so we do have a, a lot of references to angels in the scriptures, so we do believe in them. We do know them to be real. Um, and that Christ is the center of the angelic world. And this is from paragraphs 331. Um, they are his angels when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, the scriptures say. That's Matthew chapter 25, verse 31. They belong to him because they were created through and for him. Right? If you if you read on, there's there's all sorts of references in the sacred scriptures to angels. Angels coming to protect people, to be messengers for God. You think of the angel Gabriel coming to Mary. So what do we know about angels? We know that they're real. We know that they're part of God's creation, that God created them at the very beginning of creation. They're spiritual beings, so they don't have a physical body. Um, we know that they have an intellect and a will, that they're able to think, and they're able to make a choice. Um, their choice was at the very beginning, ultimately to choose God or not to choose God. So you have the fallen angels, those that chose against God. Um, and then that they're, they're messengers of God, they're servants of God, um, heavenly servants of God that sometimes come to us to protect us um, or to, to deliver a message. And so they're part of God's creation just like we are. Um, but they were all created at the very beginning. They're not like, it's not like, there's no like angels having babies, you know, in heaven. Like They don't work that way. They weren't created in that way. Just like, you know, plants and animals are different than we are as human beings, right? They're part of the order of creation. Um, they're spiritual creation. So we know that. There's lots to be said about angels. Thomas Aquinas talked about all sorts of dynamics about the angels just by drawing logical conclusions about them. So um, that's, that's I think, a general way. With I mean, I took a whole semester course on angels once. I mean, we yeah. talked for a long yeah. time, but that's to get you started. Again, that starts with paragraph 328 in the Catechism if you want to just get started on reading about what we believe about angels. Yeah, we... We we could probably have a whole podcast or we really a could. couple just because I mean it's guardian angels stories about guardian angels and intercession of the angels, mm -hmm. angels in people's lives. You know, people have experiences of angels. You know, yeah. So, yeah. I had one when I was younger. You know, yeah. So oh, that was a, a really good question. Uh, thank you for that. Um, our next question, jumping over to uh, to Facebook, we have a question um, about purgatory. So. Um, can we talk about 
purgatory in relation to time. So, for example, and I don't think this is a shot directly at you, Father, but maybe it is. No, it was. Wow. I know know who submitted it. (laughs) Wow. Sitting through that homily, I will probably reduce my time in purgatory. (laughs) Smiley face after that. Um, Yeah, I'll give you a smiley face. (laughs) Uh, However, uh, I understand purgatory to be a state of existence outside of time and space. Can you explain the apparent inconsistency there? Um, Yeah, so the church isn't we really don't know what the dynamic of purgatory and the state of purgatory is in relation to time and space because we also we really don't know what the eternal is like right outside of time and space so like what does that mean and what is that experience like and what is that so the church doesn't doesn't say much in terms of teaching and doctrine on it but in the catechism um there's different things on purgatory but i want to turn us to the paragraph on the punishments of sin So 1472 is the paragraph, 1472. To understand this doctrine and practice of the church, it is necessary to understand that sin has a double consequence. Grave sin deprives us of communion with God and therefore makes us incapable of eternal life, the privation of which is called the eternal punishment of sin. Right? So there's grave sin, and it deprives us of communion with God, and if we're not in communion with God, it's hell. You know? Um... It's where God is not, and that's hell ultimately, because it's it's eternal punishment, because it's it's living eternally without love. Um, on the other hand, every sin, even venial, entails an unhealthy attachment to creatures, which must be purified either here on earth or after death in the state called purgatory. This purification frees one from what is called the temporal punishment of sin. These two punishments must not be conceived of as a kind of vengeance inflicted by God from without, but as following from the very nature of sin. A conversion which proceeds from a fervent charity can attain the complete purification of the sinner in such a way that no punishment would remain. So the punishment of sin, particularly um, venial sin, so no sin that would separate us from God, but it still has an impact on us, is the temporal punishment. Ultimately, we put that on ourselves, or the nature of sin does that to us. What it does is it creates an, an unholy attachment or an attachment to things of this world that are not of God, right? Mm-hmm. So purgatory is a place or, or a state of being, right? Outside of time and space, we get that, right? Purgatory is a... a disconnecting from those things that we've clung to too much in an un- un- unhealthy way in this life. And so it's a it's a state in which we have to let go and be purified of those things that we're still clinging to, our own sinfulness, right? So, you know, we talk about it as years in purgatory. You know, it's a way for us to, I think, conceive of this reality that there's something that has to take place, and it's a process. What does that look like in the, the kind of that eternal realm outside of time and space, inside the spiritual, if you will? We really don't know. Um, so, yeah, there can seem to be a contradiction, but we, I, I, I would just say that it's a process, and what that process looks like in the eternal is is a tricky one, probably. You know, we don't, yeah. we don't. It, it's a it's something outside of how we understand how things move forward for us right now. So uh, that's how I guess I would go about it, that there's this temporal punishment because in some way 
Well, here's the other thing, and I, again, I don't want to, I'm going to think out loud here, okay? So this could come out and sound like, no, that's nuts. But if temporal punishment involves us being still attached to things of earth in an unhealthy way, purgatory can have a time dimension because we're still attached to the earth though we're simply in the spiritual realm. And I would have to like throw that at a number of different people way smarter than I to like break <laughs> that apart. Yeah. But if we talk about it as temporal punishment, and like the catechism says that temporal punishment is because there's an unhealthy attachment to things of earth, it means that we have to, so we're still attached to earth. We're still attached to this life mm -hmm. because of our sin. Like it's caused us to still be attached here somehow so it's it's like a it's a cutting off of those things that we still are attached to here on earth because we haven't made the proper purification to cut ourselves from those things we've clung to things of earth we've been attached and haven't cut ourselves from those so yeah i think this could be a long conversation yeah. but it's it's something to get you started on that question and that thinking yeah, that's good. And what, what, what part of the catechism was that? Yeah, so that was paragraph 1472. 1472, okay. I'm talking about sin and the effects of sin. Um, there's another section, too, just on purgatory and stuff as well. So, But when it comes to relation to time and space, that's something that we would more speculate on than really have a clear answer to yeah. in terms of yeah. Catholicism and a doctrine or anything like that. So that's maybe some of my own speculatings. Um, somewhat off the cuff because I've been thinking about this for the last d day or so because I, I think this question came in yesterday or something. So, okay. All right. Well, yeah, that was a good one. Thank you. Um, so here's one from um, from a small group with our faith formation students. Um, so what happens when people uh, like haven't had the opportunity to know Jesus or know about Jesus? So maybe like for an example, maybe like in the extreme example, like an indigenous tribe in you know, South America, who's never heard of Jesus Christ or anything like that? Like, what, um, do they just get sent to hell? How does that work? Okay, so a couple of things. Um, I'm going to go into the Catechism, 846 and 847, and they're going to quote the Second Vatican Council, Lumen Gentium, and, a, and also a document called Ad Gentes. 846, how are we to understand this? So the headline is, Outside the Church There Is No Salvation. And we believe this, but what does that mean? Okay, so we 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 got to like explain that. How are we to understand this affirmation, often repeated by the church fathers? So that's a, a quote from Saint Cyprian. Uh, outside the church, there's no salvation. Reformulated positively, it means that all salvation comes from Christ the head, through the church, which is His body. That all grace comes from Christ. That all salvation comes from Christ. So anybody who goes into heaven was saved and by Jesus, right? So everybody in the end who is saved is saved by Jesus, okay? And that that grace works through his body here on earth, the church. When you pray, if you pray for somebody, it can help them. If you pray for somebody who doesn't know about Jesus, it can help them. It can actually help you know, it's a participation and there can be grace from it, right? When we celebrate the Mass, it's for the salvation of the whole world, that all might find salvation in Jesus and that Jesus is the one who's going to save anybody. So it's it's so important that we remember, we believe as Catholics, there's one heaven and that heaven is the heaven of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And all who enter there 
are there because they've been redeemed by the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So this, is, this is a core thing to what we believe. Now, stick with me here, okay? So it quotes um, Lumen Gentium, basing itself on scripture and tradition, the council teaches that the church, a pilgrim now on earth, is necessary for salvation. Like Jesus set it up because it's necessary. The one Christ is the mediator and the way of salvation. He is present to us in his body, which is the church. He himself explicitly asserted the necessity of faith and baptism. Jesus says it, right? And thereby affirmed at the same time the necessity of the church, which men enter through baptism as through a door. Hence they could not be saved who, knowing that the Catholic Church was founded as necessary by God through Christ, would refuse either to enter it or to remain in it. So our knowledge has a lot to do with how we answer this question. What did you know about the church and about Christ? About Christ and the church he established. And the call to baptism, for instance. Okay? So... We know that this is important, and it has an impact on, based on what you knew about it. 847. This affirmation is not aimed at those who, so this is kind of coming to the heart of the question. This affirmation is not aimed at those who, through no fault of their own, so this would be that example you gave, you know, mm-hmm. you know somebody that's you know, never heard about Jesus, do not know Christ in his church. This affirmation is not aimed at those who, through no fault of their own, do not know Christ and his church. Then it quotes um, Lumen Gentium, again, um, number 16. That's a a document out of the Second Vatican Council. Those who, through no fault of their own, do not know the gospel of Christ or his church, but who nevertheless seek God with a sincere heart and, moved by grace, try on their actions to do his will as they know it through the dictates of their conscience— those two may achieve eternal salvation. Okay? So it's the understanding that every single human being has a conscience and goodness and truth and beauty from the divine is spoken into the heart in some way. So, so a lot of times, you know, we talk about natural and supernatural knowledge. Everybody has a natural knowledge and they have to respond to that natural knowledge of what is good, what is right, based on what they've, they've come to understand or know. And so... So that understanding, too, that God, when we stand before God, it's going to be in accord to, he's just, according to what we knew. Well, did you know about baptisms? Did you know about Jesus? Did you know about the Eucharist? You know? Yeah? But you chose not to? Yeah, I chose not to. Okay? That's your choice, right? Did you know about Jesus? Did you know about the church? Did you know about baptism? I didn't know. Did you know about, you know, loving others and doing good and doing what was right? Was that in your heart? Well, yeah. Did you do it? Yeah, I did it. Okay. My, my mercy and my grace works through that, you know, um, would be a way that we, I think we would understand likely how God's justice works and his mercy. Um, the Catechism goes on in 848. Although in ways known to himself, God can lead those who, through no fault of their own, are ignorant of the gospel to that faith without which it is impossible to please him. But it's still that, that faith in Jesus that's still going to save them. The church... And this is important because the church still has the obligation and also the sacred right to evangelize all men. And that's from a document called Agentes, um, paragraph 7. Also the Second Vatican Council. We still have an obligation to evangelize because Jesus Christ is the surety and the sure way to salvation and so is baptism and a participation in, those, in the sacraments. It gives us that surety of participation in the death and resurrection of Jesus that saves us because it's the only way to be saved. 
And so the more we know about that, the better we know it, the more and better we can actually participate in it and not be doing something outside of that. So, yes, one can be saved um, outside of, without knowing it, but it's so necessary to help people to come to know it. Yeah, you don't want to just bet on, uh, well, if nobody tells them, they'll get in. Right. So, you know, <laughs> yeah, you don't want to do that. That's going to be on you then, you know, like, oh, well, ignorance is bliss. Don't tell them about Jesus because maybe they have a better shot. No, they yes. have a better shot knowing about mm-hmm. Jesus and having that choice then to say yes to him. And um, there's a greater surety in it. So, great. Well, we probably have time for one more. Um, and, uh, okay, yeah. So this one comes to us, um, from, from looking at, uh, so kind of talking about the end times and judgment again, so kind of building off that. Uh, but is there a second chance for souls who are who would be in hell when Jesus' second coming? So no. Okay, um, that's a simple answer. There's yeah. The person who sent this sent us a paragraph from a book. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it, the, the paragraph's a little vague or it doesn't, it leaves some uncertainty. And I don't think that was the intention of the author. But this is a big question, right? Will people like have a second? Like, is there a get out of hell free kind of thing in the resurrection? No. In the resurrection, we would believe and teach that everybody will be reunited with their body and then have to live in that, um, according to whether they're in hell or in heaven. So it's it's in the resurrection, you'll be reunited with the body. Final justice is given, and remember, I always say like, being put in prison is justice. Getting a paycheck is justice. Right, so remember that there's there's good justice or there's justice that that's we love, right? So living in heaven, living in the eternal, in love with others and with God, that's that's that justice for those that are saved. Choosing to not live in that, well, then bodily and spiritually in the resurrection, you you live outside of love eternally. So it'll be a physical experience too. But there's no in the resurrection when we're reunited with the body. Those judgments have already been made in our personal judgment at the moment of our death. There was a question last week with someone, too. They, they said, well, after somebody dies, they have a second chance to, like, choose Christ or not. No. No. We're judged on the life we lived. And according to what we knew and how what we chose to do, right, um, in belief in Jesus and how we responded to that, right, in both how we responded to say, yes, I believe, yes, I, I strive to love you and I do love you, and what we chose to do with asking God for mercy and forgiveness in the midst of our brokenness or not asking God for forgiveness and mercy and not admitting to our sin and saying, I don't need God because I don't think I'm a sinner. I'm already good enough or something like that. Like, so it's, it's The judgment is made at the moment of our death. We either go to heaven or we go through purgatory to get to heaven or we go to hell. And, and this is the teaching of the church, right? And then in the, the second coming... Um, when we're reunited with the body, we're simply reunited with the body and, and that general judgment is then divvied out to every human being that's ever ever been. Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's teaching yeah. the church, yeah? Yeah. And it's, uh, yeah, I, th- I think it's, you know, it's good, um, especially for uh, I mean, a lot of Catholics just to be like, no, like it's, uh, we, need, we need it to be laid out for us sometimes just to be like, okay, we know, and so, so we know what to expect and we know, we know how, like, okay, no, it, it adds more weight to the life that we live. Yeah. Because it, it matters. Yeah. And we have to remember the church teaches there's hell and there's souls there. There's people there. 
Like we can't, it's never been a teaching in the church that there's not anybody in hell and that hell doesn't exist. No, Jesus is very clear about it too, you know. Whether hell is full or not so full, we don't, I mean, we don't, that's a big speculation as well. I mean, there's lots of different ways to go about it. But boy, I'll tell you what, Jesus, Jesus, if you listen to Jesus and we take Jesus at his word, he's he's pretty serious about about how easily it is for one to fall into hell. You know, and so it's, it's something to, it, a healthy fear is a good thing. Let me answer the last question. Um, okay. On guilt, right? Yep, yep. So uh, Catholic guilt. Catholic. Is Catholic guilt good? It is. It has to be a, a healthy guilt, right? Just like a healthy fear. That's why it like, leads right into it, right? Yeah. We, have to have a healthy, we have to have a healthy fear of hell. We have to have a healthy guilt. Like, we should feel guilty about things we've done wrong. Because there's things that are wrong, right? And we know that. Mm-hmm. We sometimes want to play it off so we don't have to feel that because we don't we don't want it to be wrong for whatever reason. But it's like when you look at it, no, wrong wrong is wrong and wrong hurts us. And you can't pretend as though it doesn't. So we have to like in the midst of our wrongdoing, turn to God and go, okay, I did wrong and I'm guilty of it and I feel that. And I want I want to do better because I know there's something better. There's something better. And that's important to strive for, towards. There is something better. Don't settle. And our guilt should lead us that way, in a healthy way. Um, scrupulosity, where we're worried about every little thing being a sin, like that's unhealthy mm-hmm. guilt, you know. Yeah. Um, you know, oops, I accidentally stepped on that ant. Maybe I'm going to go to hell because I killed one of God's creations accidentally. And oh, maybe I did it on purpose. Now I have this overwhelming guilt about accidentally stepping on an ant that maybe... In some way, did I actually m- intend to? And that that thinking is something that does happen to us, you know. It does happen to people. So, like, it's a you know, if if you are like, go talk to a priest and recognize that scrupulosity is something that can build up in the midst of Catholic guilt, but it's not healthy Catholic guilt. A fear of hell can stagnate us, so we don't actually even move towards Christ. Like, you know, we don't do anything then because we're so afraid of hell. That can stagnate us. That's not a healthy fear of hell. But it, I need to move towards good and love to and, and mercy to avoid hell. Like, and that's, that's healthy. It's healthy to not want to go to hell. <laughs> um, and so we have, to, we have to have a healthy guilt. Um, and not a, yeah, there's a discerning of the guilt and everything. Um, we could probably talk about that for a long time, too. That might be a whole other episode of Catholic guilt and its dynamics. But remember, good, healthy Catholic guilt, that's what I would say is what we need to strive for. Is and acknowledging, like, when something is, when something's serious, I'll end on this, Dan. Uh, I see the clock. <laughs> when something's serious, we have to admit that. It's, you know, sometimes it's, you know, it's like, come on. You just need to admit you really screwed up. Go to God. He forgives. He's merciful. He wants to help you. So you don't do it again, you know? And, you know, we have to, when it's, when it's not great, we also have to, like, discern through the catechism, through the scriptures, like, okay, yeah, that was, that was, that was not right, but it's, you know, it's not, it's not the end of the world, it's not this huge, huge thing that's going to actually put me in hell, but it's hurt me in some way, or it's hurt somebody else, you know, or it's not, mm-hmm. it's not good, you know, um, but we have to be really honest about that, and not just kind of like, what's going to make me feel good, um, 
you know, it's 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 what's going to restore you at the end of the yeah. day, not just what's going to make you feel good at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. And we have to. That's a process of being honest and then going through healing, in the midst of it. You know. Um, yeah. I, I feel like there's like some like self awareness. A huge self awareness. Yeah. yeah. So it's like I. But self awareness with knowledge yeah. too. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's self awareness with knowledge. Like that's why we have to learn. Like and mm-hmm. talk about these things because, and read the catechism, read the scriptures because, a lot of times we're walking in, guilt. That isn't based on good knowledge. That makes sense. Yeah. Or guilt that isn't based on on good mental or emotional state. And sometimes we have to just admit, I'm crabby today. Yeah. You know. And knowing that, just like no, it's just it's just that I'm crabby. You know. Yeah. That's just just but on I, a human level. If I die right now, I'm just my crabbiness isn't going to put me into hell. So okay, yeah. I can kind of smile and be like, okay, I'm just crabby. You know. Yeah. What did I do with my crabbiness? You know, if I go do something really vicious, like, well, yeah, now that that could put me in hell. Like, now I need to worry about that. Now I need to feel guilty about that. But I don't need to feel guilty about being crabby. I don't. Mm-hmm. Unless I'm a complete jerk in it, you know? And, you know, so that's like even in our, our loved ones, you know? Like, you just have to say, I'm crabby today. And that's okay. That's just uh, that's how I feel. When, so I'm trying to, you know, just get through the day of being crabby, but without being vicious, you know, being sinful. So, okay, well, we've come yeah. full circle. Good, good, good. Yeah, this is good. Good episode. Uh, yeah, thank you so thanks much. Thanks for Father. the questions, folks. Yeah, thanks for the questions. Um, and thanks for tuning in. And we will see you next week. May God bless you and may Jesus Christ be praised.